0: Are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure? Look no further than Lake Erie. Powderhook, in partnership with the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world. The best part is... You don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter... Secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat. All these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at PowderHook.com. That's PowderHook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you're at your best, you can do great things. But sometimes life gets you bogged down and you may feel overwhelmed or like you're not showing up in the way that you want to. Working with a therapist can help you get closer to the best version of you, because when you feel empowered, you're more prepared to take on everything life throws at you. I've personally never tried therapy, but I've heard from friends it's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com Waypoint to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, Waypoint.
2: You are a whitetail deer hunter. Do you know what keeps the deer on your property and more importantly, the bucks? Do you want to have a better chance of getting more deer this season or maybe better quality deer? I like big bucks. I cannot lie. But more importantly, I like knowing that the herd that I'm hunting is healthy and that they're not seeing a lot of stress outside of the season. If you want to put that trophy in your freezer or on your wall, you'll definitely want to stick around for these tips from Zach Vikurvich, certified wildlife biologist and National Deer Association level two deer steward. In this episode, Zach's gonna let us know how we should look at the overall population of our deer herd. He's gonna give us insights on how to look at the browse and the other habitat that the deer are living in. And that's before we even talk about food plots. Zach gives us his strategy on how to use trail cameras to your advantage. And he's going to share how to use feeders. And yes, he will address food plots. Zach invited us down to his Kentucky family farm to check out his habitat management plan that he's running down there and how well it's going and what he's done that has worked really well. This also gives us a glimpse into what he puts together for his clients. We spent an entire day learning from a master and everybody's going to get something out of this show. And lastly, our team went through all of Zach's notes and we dropped links where we could to gear that he uses. All those links are going to be in the show notes. If you go to the follow those links and buy something, Go Wild's going to get a kickback. And when we get that kickback, we will actually pass along some of that to Raise Them Outdoors. Raise Them Outdoors is a great organization that teaches kids how to hunt, fish, and camp, and generally just fall in love with the outdoors. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Gearbox Talk with Zach Vakurvich. Exactly. So we've been talking about property management. You know, looking at the habitat, making sure it's a right for deer and other wildlife. We're gonna dive into this episode into herd management for the whitetail, and then also how can you keep and retain more trophy deer on your property. So let's start with that first piece of it. What's the the tips and tricks that you have for just managing a herd and making sure your herd is strong?
3: So, with herd management, it always boiled down to what can your property provide. Like, how many deer can you support? It's thrown around in the biology community: carrying capacity. What is the most amount of deer that can healthy can be healthy and live on your property for an extended period of time, enough to procreate? Um, that boils down to doing a little research. Look at look at what the habitat's telling you. Do you have a big, heavy browse line on every field edge? Um, is there scat everywhere Are you see in thirty? 35 deer it might sound great to see that many deer every time you sit but chances are it's probably not a healthy herd and they're all directly competing with each other for resources so doing something like running a trail camera survey i run cuddy back i have a cuddy link system set up and this is a great time of year we're here in late summer it's my favorite time of year to run a trail camera survey the the bucks are mature enough in their development on their antlers that you can identify individual bucks, which is important. It's one of the key things you need in order to do a deer survey. And then the does are all kind of established in their home ranges and and, um, their territories. So you get a really good sense of how many deer are truly on your property doing it this time of year. If You wait to do your trail camera survey until say after hunting season and try to time it right before those bucks start losing their antlers. A lot of the deer will be all busted up. They'll be harder to tell one from the other. You'll get deer from other places moving into your property and pushing other deer around. It kind of gets shuffled. So if you want a good starting point on how your deer is doing, whether it be the buck to doe ratio or just total deer uh, per square mile, the best time to do it is late summer before season starts. Um, So I'm running a survey, figuring out what are my numbers? What am I trying to get to? If I'm having a real heavy browse line um, and I'm having a hard time getting food plots established, stuff like that, then chances are you probably got too many deer. You're not gonna fix that problem with a different seed blend or different food plots. You need to fix that with lead and bullets. Um, so you need to take those doe numbers down and try to get your buck to doe ratio numbers One to one, one to two, two does for every one buck um, isn't too out of the ordinary, um, but somewhere between that one to one, one to two range um, is where you want to be at. So looking at the herd that way, get your trail camera surveys done um, and figure out what you need to go. What's your objective heading into deer season? How many deer do you need to take off your property?
2: Is that doe to buck ratio dependent upon the acreage and how big of a piece of property you're looking at?
3: So no, not necessarily. Um, A lot of times, if it it can be. So if you're looking at a smaller property where your best chance of killing a nice mature buck, you don't have enough acreage to keep him on your property year-round. But if you can provide enough area and enough uh, like bedding thickets and habitat quality habitat and forage to keep a doe family group there then chances are, during the rut, you can expect all the more mature deer in the area to come check out your property. So there are times, if you're managing small acreages, where it'd be okay, even encouraged, to have a higher doe-to-buck ratio. But for the most part, when you want good rutting activity and you want that cruising behavior to take place, you want to be able to rattle the deer in, that's a direct result of having a low buck-to-doe ratio. Because in that then they have to compete with each other to find the doe that's in heat. So if you want that exciting... Uh, pre-rut hut, where you can put a decoy out there, and you can call in a buck with with a grunt tube or some rattling antlers. Like you want to get that number down, especially on bigger pieces of property.
2: Cool. So, let's talk about some of the stuff you're using at your property to help support the deer herd through the year. I mean, obviously, I know it's going to change throughout the year, but what's some of the stuff you're putting out in addition to the vegetation and the food plots?
3: So I do run feeders on my property, and that's because I'm doing these camera surveys. I only run them in the late summer when I'm getting ready to do the surveys, so I have something for my cameras to be at. I run the Banks feeders. They're awesome. It's a 300-pound feeder. Um, It's gravity-fed, four spouts on it. Uh, You just stick it on a 4x4 post. And I got um, some squirrel baffles to keep the squirrels from getting up there. They work great, the Banks feeders. I do the same thing with my, I have the Banks blinds. Like, um, I'm a big fan of their products, use them all the time. Trophy Rock is another, it's one of the best supplements out there as far as mineral licks go. I've never had an issue with Trophy Rock. I've tried everything out there, um, putting it out on the ground. Trophy Rocks work great. Um, and But then there's other stuff, like when I'm when I'm trying to do uh, like a mock scrape or something, There's all sorts of products out there you can buy, and some of them I have used with success, but for the most part, um, when I'm trying to do mock scrapes and get deer on camera that way, um, it's more of a visual thing for them than anything. So I'll hang a licking branch, I'll clear out a patch of dirt, and I'll let them find it on their own um the cuddy link system again you need you need those quality cameras to be able to get you we don't have great cell signal down here so the cuddy link's great because i only need one spot with good service and you can daisy chain those images from around the property to one central unit because half of this property i probably don't have cell service so i'm really limited in what i can use uh cell camera wise so you said you're mainly using the feeders during the summertime when
2: when is that point that you cut it off is it when you start hunting or is it sooner than that
3: so I typically quit putting feed out after I get my surveys done. So a survey will typically take, I'll, I'll bait the location for two weeks leading up to the survey to get the deer consistently using that area. And then um, we'll do our 14 day camera survey. So it's about a month total. Um, we're getting ready to start doing our surveys here in the next couple days. And when I get back from my trip, it'll be time they've sat long enough. We'll pull those camera cards and I'll crunch the numbers. So it's typically about a one month span. And I'll let them kind of run dry leading into hunting season, a little before hunting season, because I want those deer to start utilizing my food plots that I have up for them. Because right. if you have a corn feeder set up all scattered throughout the product property, and you have all these food plots you spend all your time putting out there, that's just more quality locations for them to be feeding at. Um, so if you can take a couple of those away as easily as not putting corn in the feeders anymore, it sort of makes their movements more predictable hitting your food plots.
2: Do you leave the feeders out? Or do you actually remove them out of the field?
3: I remove them out of the field. And it's mostly because when there's a little bit of corn in there, sometimes those baffles don't work for the squirrels. The squirrels will get in there and chew them up. Or if the black bear shows up and he smells corn, he'll tear those feeders up. So there's really no point in keeping them out there when they don't have corn in them. They just get torn up. Gotcha.
2: All right. So let's let's turn the page a little bit and start looking at the trophy aspect. We've seen some of the deer that you guys have on camera and stuff here. What are you specifically looking at from a trophy deer perspective to get those bucks to come on the property and then keep them around once you're ready to start hunting?
3: So when you're talking about trophy deer, the thing to remember is that a trophy is is relative to where you're at geographically. Uh, there's clients in, in Georgia where a 120-inch deer is a great deer for those guys, and they, they do everything right. They do everything they can, but there's there's just not the quality of deer in the area. Like a L-150 is like unheard of in some of those counties down there. Um, So just be familiar with like your expectations. Don't let your expectations get too high where you have to be shooting 180 inch deer every year because you're just going to get disappointed. So figure out what a trophy is for your area and that should be your goal. Around here, um, we're looking at some pretty good sized deer. Uh, We have some pretty good agriculture around. Um, The numbers aren't quite as high for Boone and Crockett deer like you would see uh, further west like towards the Ohio River and western Kentucky. But there are some good deer around here, um, and I think a lot of it is people just aren't as likely to go register their deer to get it certified as Boone and Crockett. Um, so I think the deer are here. People just aren't following through with getting into the record books, which is fine. So figure out what a trophy is for your area um, and set that as your goal. Around here, th- the main thing that I'm, that I'm worried about with these deer is age. They need to get some age on them in order to show their full potential. I've written articles about it on my website. Where, like, what's the most important thing for a deer to grow into a trophy? I mean, everyone wants to talk about food plots and don't what get me wrong. What can I feed them? Yeah, what can I feed them? What can I pour on the ground in a bag that's gonna draw in a big boon and crock deer every year? And it's just not that simple. Yeah. Like, you need quality nutrition, yes. You need um, reduced stress on the animals. Stuff like sanctuary areas, and uh, letting your property soak before going into season. like There's stuff you can do that do help. Um, genetics, people always talk about culling deer to, to get better genetics on your property. Science has shown us time and time again that that just doesn't work. You, those deer need age. To have age and the nutrition, they're going to they're gonna show their full potential. So one thing I always run into, which is a big problem, and, and we all run into it, and I've been guilty of it in the past too, You see a nice-looking three-year-old walk out onto your property, and you're thinking, man, I want to see what that deer looks like next year. But if I don't shoot him, I know my neighbor would shoot him. It's a good-looking deer. My my neighbor's going to shoot that three-and-a-half-year-old, so I I better take the shot now. So you're shooting that deer out of fear. You go over to your neighbor's property. Your your neighbor sees another good-looking three-year-old. He's thinking the same thing. He's thinking, "I want to see bigger deer, but I just can't let this deer walk." Or, or Zach's going to shoot him next door. So there's a lack of communication amongst neighbors in the area, and you're all you all want the same results. You want those four and a half, five and a half, six and a half year old deer, but you're too scared your neighbor's going to shoot it. So you all just pull the trigger prematurely. And you don't give them an opportunity to express their full potential, both body-wise and antler-wise. So communication with your neighbors is key. Uh, We started a cooperative down here with some of the surrounding areas. I have about 300 acres that I'm managing intensely. And all together with some of the neighbors we got involved, we have two properties on the backside of here. We got our neighbor uh, to the west and then a property backing him up we have 1100 acres total that's a big chunk of real estate that they're we're managing for for quality deer and we're all on the same page as far as what is a trophy we want to shoot 160 inch deer out here every year we're only going to do that if we let the 140 inch deer walk yeah so we have an agreement amongst us we all know we can age deer and we all have the same objectives Um, So that cooperative is key, getting your neighbors involved in the discussion on what you're trying to get done. Um, And it it pays dividends because now I can trust when I see that three and a half year old deer walk out that I know my neighbor's not going to shoot him and I can give him that extra year. So age is key when it comes to growing mature deer on your property.
2: Something else we've talked a little bit about is that, you know, my deer, it's on my property, it's my deer. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about how those bucks move and when they move.
3: So when when you're saying my deer, when you look at what the home range is for the average whitetail deer, um, it's typically claimed that it's between 600 and 800 acres. So that deer has his home range twice as big as like the one I'm targeting this year. I know he's not living exclusively on my property but I have enough here, enough good habitat, enough high quality forage that I keep him around a lot. I get him on camera, like clockwork almost, but I know he's going to be using neighboring properties. Um, So when when you're talking about being my deer, it, it just kind of like, yeah, what are you going to do if it's the middle of November and a deer you've never seen before shows up and he's 170 inch deer running across your field? Is that your neighbor's deer? (laughs) no that's your deer too you know what I mean so it's one of those things where like we like to lay claim to them we like to name them and and it's fun and um, it's fun to keep track of these deer growing over time, but you can't like, like <laughs> not your deer, the deer are all held in the public trust and it's gotta be an understanding. Like as long as the management objectives hold true and people are willing to live up to their word, we're okay. We're going to let the three and a half year olds walk and we're not going to shoot anything less than five points on one side or whatever your regulations may be that you guys put together in that area. You have to trust that everyone's following along in that process. And that's, that's how you get the results down the road.
2: So this, the next question I have is kind of all-encompassing. Tell us a little bit about the seeds. I mean, we've, we did another show where we, we set up a new food plot, but what are some of the seeds that you are looking to put out Beyond the soybean and corn, what's what's some of the the bags of the seeds you go to?
3: So one of the products I've been really really thrilled with over the years has been Eagle Seed. These are actually Eagle Seed soybeans behind me. This is the Wildlife Manager's Blend. It's three different varieties of soybean, and what makes these soybeans a little bit different than what you would go buy at the local seed store? Uh, these are these are for forage, they're for wildlife to be able to eat that leafy, nutritious summer food source um, they don't have as much potential for grown beans like you would and some of the ones that you would get at the seed store because those are for people planting for profit down the mm-hmm. road so the other benefit of these seeds is they stay green much longer these will be green well into october um, versus the the regular ground up ready soybeans you'll buy at the store they might be starting to turn yellow in some areas by the end of august so you get a little more lifespan over it. And here in Kentucky, when the season opens up at the beginning of September, having those green soybeans out there is a great food source that you know these bucks are going to hit on a daily basis hunting over those green soybeans. So it extends into our archery season, which is why I like them. There are situations where you, where you might not want to plant those forage soybeans. I know they sound great. Um, but if you're interested in doing something like a cover crop and you want to broadcast a seed into the same patch of ground um, leading into the winter time to add another food source, planting those forged soybeans, they're going to be green too long. It's, the ground's going to be frozen by the time that the leaves fall off and you're trying to get something else established. So eagle seed with the soybeans, the fall plots as well. We used seven card stud earlier. It's an antler king product. Um, I like that great. It's got triticale oats. It's got annual clovers in it. It's got radishes in it. It works great. Uh, Eagle Seed has one smorgasbord. Same deal. It's got, I think, 11 different species in it. I always like planting very diverse fall blends. One, because it extends the lifespan of that food plot. There's something always... Um, growing, like hitting its peak performance at different times of, of the year, late season going into the spring. But the other side of it is, is you don't know what the weather's going to do in the fall. So like we're in the middle of a drought. We got some rain the other day here, but it's been two, three weeks since we've had any substantial rainfall. When you have a variety of seed out there, it kind of protects you where some of those are more drought tolerant than others. You might have a really wet August for some reason. Some of them are going to be more um, they'll grow better with really wet soil. So it kinda it's a little bit of a safety net for you when you when you're on a budget and you're trying to get something going, you have less chance of a crop failure down the road when you plant those blends.
2: So Zach, thanks for talking us through just your strategy on keeping more deer and then keeping your deer herd healthy and trying to keep more of those trophy bucks on your property. You've given us a lot of good tips and we'll do some more shows with you here soon.
3: Yeah, it's not not a one-day process. This stuff takes time. And it was was a pleasure to show you guys around, kind of show you some of the stuff I've been doing that you you saw. You saw all the sheds I found, some of the pictures. It it pays off when you put the work in. So thanks for coming. Yeah, man.
2: Thanks a ton, Zach. As you can tell, Zach knows a ton about habitat management and how to get deer onto your property and keep them there. If you're looking for ways to improve your deer population and to get those deer to stay on your property, make sure you check out Zach's website. That link's gonna be down in the show notes and then there'll also be links to his Instagram and Facebook and of course, check him out on Go Wild and you can have a conversation with him there. So if you liked what you saw in this episode, make sure you subscribe and like it. We shot a ton of relevant content with Zach, relevant for right now. It's very time sensitive for right in the season leading up to deer season so we're going to be dropping more shows with him in the next few days make sure you subscribe and follow those to get notifications so you know when that content is dropping if you've got questions that weren't answered go ahead and drop those down in the comments section we'll get those in front of zach and see if we can help you and then if there's other stuff you want to see from our shows just let us know and we'll try to get that brought in that's it we'll see y'all next time